Who's seen, who's like a Lord of the Rings fan? Anybody? There's a few fans. Who just knows what the Lord of the Rings is? Who knows but doesn't care? Anybody like knows? Okay. Yeah, see, so there's a few. So, so, so Lord of the Rings, uh, written by uh, Tolkien, was the author. One of the most, I mean, probably one of the most powerful stories of all time. And uh, Tolkien was actually a Christian. And uh, so you see some, some themes come out in, in his books. Uh, incredible. But, you know, one of those just big, massive stories, good and evil at odds with each other, fate of the world, or as he described the world, he created Middle Earth, the fate of Middle Earth at stake. Um, and the solution to all this um, evil and corruption and power is a teenager named Frodo who has to drop the evil ring of power into all volcano. And I just summed up the story really simply for you, right? So the fate of Middle-earth, you know, like rests in the balance of a teenager. And I'm seeing some teens here. You guys can conquer the world for sure. But imagine the whole world rests in the hands of this young teenager named Frodo. But Frodo's not alone. Frodo has a friend. His name is Sam. And Sam walks with him in this journey where Frodo has to take this ring and slowly just through obstacle and obstacle and twist and turn and detour, take this ring and eventually bring it to this volcano where it will be destroyed. And I mean, Sam is with him at every moment of this adventure, an often treacherous journey. And there's many moments where Frodo just did not, could not continue or felt weak or discouraged or was, was skeptical about all this. And Sam got him through those moments. In fact, there was a moment where he literally, Frodo could not even move. He was so distraught and so tired that Sam picks him up and, help, and just helps him finish the journey. And it reminds me, when I see stories like that, this message that I hope we can all uh, grasp for our lives is that you are not meant to do this alone. You are not meant to do this life or face challenges alone. And uh, when I think about this story as well, it wasn't just Sam and Frodo, but they were part of a tribe of people. And in this tribe of people, you have Gandalf the wizard, you have the king or the upcoming king, the leader of the elves, you got the dwarves underneath, they're obviously a little shorter. Um, and you have this, this tribe of people, a wizard, a king, uh, other, other allies, all banding together as a community to accomplish this goal, to rescue the fate of Middle Earth. And... As we anticipate, many people know this story, that it does end well in victory, but it took a community to bring it about. It took a community to finish it. It took a community to accomplish that. It took a community to see it through. And we have been walking through a letter to a first century church on and off for the last two, three months, and we were talking through it last week as well on the theme of suffering, and it's the letter of First Peter. And there's this theme scattered throughout uh, Peter's letter to this first century church in an area of the world and in part of society where they're very marginalized and set aside. And Peter writes to them, and as he writes to them, you can see this scattered theme throughout his letter about the church and about what it means to be a church community. And as he writes to these group, this group of Christians... And possibly uh, it's even a collection of house churches, different churches in that region, small churches that might have read this. He comes towards the end of his letter and he reminds them of this truth that Tolkien also brought, brings into his movie or his book and story, that you're not meant to do this alone. You're not meant to do this alone. 
And we see in 1 Peter, and we've been in 1 Peter so much uh, that, that 1 Peter literally came out of my Bible. Like, it's just two pages, you know? So I thought, I don't even do my Bible. I just got 1 Peter in my hand, put it in my pocket. Um, so so as, as Peter writes this letter, we see these themes of, of what it means to be a church community. What is a church community? He boils it down, just for simplicity's sake, I want to talk about these two ideas today that I believe are kind of scattered through Peter's letter in two large pockets, but then throughout, and I think you know, affirmed by the New Testament. And it's that, this, that these two ingredients of church community is love and leadership. That what is necessary and needed to be a church community to grow in church community, to function in, uh, to have a community function in health, is love and leadership. The word love comes up more than seven or eight times in Peter's letter, but six times it's reference to people loving each other, loving one another, taking care of one another, and how that love is expressed in community. In fact, Peter starts off his whole letter, chapter 1, verse 22. He starts off uh, with this verse where he says, if you can go to that, now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. It's like there's this love for each other is a response to the love that people have experienced in God and in Christ. That what God has been doing in them overflows and and Peter's calling that out of them as they begin to learn what it means to love one another. And I love the, the trajectory of this because Peter says like now that you've been purified, this transformation has been taking place by what? Obeying the truth. So they've taken on, they've understood or begin to understand the truth of the gospel, the teachings of Christ, the, persons of, the person of Christ. So now that you've been purified, obeyed the truth. In another part, just a couple of verses earlier, I won't, I won't quote it, but it, he talks about being born again. Then he says, so that you have sincere love for each other. Almost like this, their conversion leads them into community. And I want us to just get that line on the screen in our minds. Conversion leads us into community. When someone comes to faith in Christ or gets this revelation of who Jesus is and begins to follow Jesus and, and trusts Jesus both for the forgiveness of sins and to lead their lives, that conversion process leads that person into community. No one, is, no one comes to Jesus and then is left alone. No one is called to follow Jesus by themselves. Conversion leads us into community. Or I say it this way, a new heart prepares you for new community. And Peter uses this phrase that comes up two or three times in the letter, love each other deeply. Love each other deeply. In chapter 4, starting in verse 8, he, he says the same thing. And, he, and he, he starts off this way because he says, above all. It's interesting here because he says, above all, love each other deeply. It's like towards the end of this letter, as it's coming to a close, he knows that they're finishing to read this. He's trying to encourage them, commission them, kind of help them move forward, prepare them. He says, above all. I mean, I'm, I've said a lot of stuff in this letter, but above all. I've encouraged you and challenged you and taught you in many ways. But above all, Peter says, love each other deeply. The the, the key ingredient of this community that is starting to be shaped in this early church is love. But it's not going to come easy. And and Peter uses the word deeply. So I I thought I'd kind of explore this a little bit. and, uh, And like this is what came to mind when I thought of what what this word means, and I hope you can all 
all see this over here. I was thinking about like how how to how to understand what Peter says because he says it he says it a few times, and um, and he uses this this word. And so I have here, yes, I have wipes. I have that. I have a knife. So be careful. We'll throw the, the, this over here. And this morning, like I bought fresh pizza dough at Cavallero. You get, it's at it's at Marche de l'Ouest, and. Um, I asked them. I asked them like. I asked them like if they could give it to me because I would promote them. But they, it was too fast, and I paid for it. So, but um, so I'm just gonna cut it in half. This really big pizza dough, and um, who who likes to make pizza? Anybody like making pizza? Darren likes making pizza. Do you know how to? Would you know how to like spread this out, Darren? No. Anybody uh, want to offer volunteer spreading that out? Sue? No? Daria. Daria, Daria, come up. We'll get a volunteer. Hey, welcome, Daria. So, now, Daria, you've probably made pizza, though, right? Because Daria is a foodie. And um, here, because this is fresh, you want to take this home? This other, this other half? Sure. We'll see. Okay. Just put it, you can put it off to the side here. And we can... Matt, that's worth exactly $2.25. Because I know Matt cares about that stuff. I'll write it down. So, um, so normally when you make pizza dough, yeah, you can start like touching it if you like. It's great because I don't have to wash my hands now. So you can you can start when you're when someone's making pizza dough, they call it working the dough, right? They put the the flour and the eggs and the water and not water, eggs, yeast. What else? Flour, oil. Oil. And so they they work the dough. And you know it's interesting because the word deeply in the original, actually means to work at something. To work at something. So imagine when you're kind of like, when you're making the pizza dough, when you're working the dough, that's the same kind of concept that Peter has in, in his mind when he, he writes to this church to love one another deeply. But as Daria now, perfect, she's like taking that and she's spreading, you're really good at that, a lot better than I am. Um, and so, so as, as she's taking that, now she's stretching it, right? She's spreading it. Uh, and she's just making it, getting it to all the edges. And it's fascinating because the word deeply, also in the original, means to stretch. That you would stretch something out to its fullest capacity. And I was thinking as, as she's taking that and as she's stretching it and pulling it and trying to get it to every corner to fit the pan because you want to put as much ingredients on the pizza as possible, right? That's the goal. So you stretch it out full so you can put more sauce and more cheese and more like pepperoni and whatever else you love to put on pizzas. And so this whole idea is she's stretching it out. She's pulling it to each side. And, uh, and at the end, really, I mean, you probably have, who likes Hawaiian pizza? Anybody likes Hawaiian? Some like, okay. Who likes pepperoni? Anybody's just like cheese and sauce? Just cheese and sauce pizza? Okay, a few people. So it really, like, pizza's amazing because you can do anything with it. But the base of pizza is this dough, right? Thank you, Daria, for, for helping us. That's so awesome. Here, you want the bag? It's, uh, it's cleaner for you. See, Darren, you could have, you could have had a free pizza. But. Um, I love that image because God has designed the church to function like this. And you're like, yes, pizza. I love pizza, so I love the church. But that's not what I mean. I mean that God has designed the church to function in this way that we would love one another deeply. That, that we, that our love would stretch us, that our love would stretch us and would, would stretch us towards risk and towards mercy and towards grace and towards welcome and towards service. 
And that, that love will not just happen, but often it takes work. Just like you work that pizza, you work that love out. And so that love ends up being something that will sometimes you work at and it gets you out of your comfort zone, but you work at what that means. Or sometimes it means sacrifice, or sometimes it means vulnerability. Sometimes it means receiving something from people that you're too prideful to receive. Sometimes it means giving something to people that you want to hold back. And love, to love deeply is to be stretched to the extremities in a sense to reach out, but also to work at, because it doesn't always just come so naturally. And it's, it's also a growth in our lives. And that's how love gets played out. And Peter says, there's a few ways how this works. And, and he goes on in chapter 4 specifically that love gets played out in community in kind of three ways. The first way is grace. And he says, love one another deeply. And this is what he says, for it covers a multitude of sins. That love covers a multitude of sin. That when you consider what love does, it's, it covers this multitude of sins. It doesn't mean that it just blankets over everything. It doesn't mean that the church is a place where nothing matters and it doesn't matter what we do or who we are or what our character's like and it doesn't matter if, if sin is evident or not. No, no, that's not what, what Peter's saying, but there, there's something that happens when we love one another deeply that the, the community of the church is able to embrace us, even when we sin in, in moments, in our failures, in our brokenness, but also confront us so we don't stay in that sin. When love covers a multitude of sins and love gets worked out in grace, there's this two things happen in that community or in, in a community where this is, where this is flourishing is that, that, that there's a sense of welcome and embrace and a sense of people feeling transparent that they can share their, what they're going through, even when they've fallen into sin. But there's also a confrontation in that love and grace so we don't stay there. And that's a hard balance because I bet you that you lean more on one side or another, right? Some of us are more graceful and we just can't confront. And it's like everything is cool, it's okay, it doesn't matter if this has happened, right? But some of us are like on the confrontational side. This happened right away, let's talk about it, let's write you, let's figure this out, you did something wrong, let's, let's like mark it down. Maybe you're a confrontational person, you have lists, you know, Dave did this, 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 and this wrong, I'm going to talk to him next week, right? But maybe you're on the grace side, oh Dave, don't worry, Dave, poor Dave, you know, we just, that's okay, I'm picking on myself, but this happens in, in community. But there's a balance between one and the other. There's this beauty of what it means to be a loving community when we know we can be transparent with each other but we also are willing and able to hear the confrontation or to even confront one another. Why? There's this transparency where we can not have to hide our sin, but there's this accountability where we don't stay in our sin. And that's love and grace in action. Peter goes on and he talks about offering hospitality as a way of expressing this love to one another and what he says without grumbling. How many people are hospitable but they grumble about it? Like, oh man, somebody's coming over. I gotta clean the bathroom and I gotta figure this out, or you know. But some of you are very hospitable. As soon as someone calls, you're like, for sure, just come. The door's open, welcome, anytime. I'm gonna put a pot of tea on for you, blah, blah, blah. But some struggle with that. Peter's saying to learn how to grow in offering hospitality without grumbling. It doesn't mean that you have to be Martha Stewart, or you know, it just it just talks about that. But listen, the early church didn't have any kind of like like well, not any, but it wasn't common for them to have buildings or, or larger places for them to meet. So it's very common for uh, church members to use their homes for lots of things. 
because either they didn't have buildings to meet in or they were restricted. So there was a sense of, oh, okay, we're, we're the church and we're going to open up our places, our homes, our environments, our lives for teachings and counseling and support and meals and communion and all that stuff. And that can get, that can get draining, right? So Peter says, offer hospitality without grumbling. How love will stretch you and it's a work. And so to offer hospitality in your own way, it's cool, but to grow in that, that's a way love gets stretched out. Another way is, is service. And Peter, this is one of the, like a very quoted verse, each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others. It's faithful stewards of God's grace in his various forms. And so Peter is saying, use whatever gift you have received to serve other people. That Peter sees every skill, or the scripture sees every skill, every capacity, every resource as a gift from God, and then we become managers or stewards of the gifts God has given us. It's so vital that we would steward our life to serve other people. And Peter says you can do it in a few ways, and he has these kind of umbrella terms. One is if you speak, use your words as though you're speaking God's words to convey truth and encouragement to people around you. If anyone speaks, they should do it as though they speak the very words of God. Now be careful with this, and don't use this as a license to say whatever you want and put God's label behind it. That, don't do that, because we know that people will have done that. Say, God said this. Well, you said that. God didn't say this. But, but Peter's saying that God uses people within the church with ways to speak into each other's lives or to teach or to encourage as we use our words in various ways. He also talks about serving, that if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ, that in our serving, our actions, whether it's us coming alongside someone who's struggling this week, whether it's having someone over, whether it's giving a hand to someone that's personal, whether it's sitting and listening to someone and praying for them, But it could be organized where, hey, people came today at 8.30 to set up these chairs. We have all been served because two people today showed up early to set up these chairs. We've all been served today and able to to, to embrace God's presence um, with music and scripture and song and prayer because people came and set this stuff up and put things on. Some of you who have children, but it's really all our children in our church community because we feel like we're a community, have been served as people came to set up rooms and to prepare a theme and a lesson and an activity so kids can learn and grow. And that's organized ministry. And Peter says, if you can serve with your gifts, with your abilities, do it to God's glory. But here's, it's a two-way street, though. So first, I want to I encourage you, welcome it. Learn how to be served. Like when you walk in and the chairs are, are set and you come in, recognize, just see that as a blessing. When someone takes time to spend time with you or reach out to you, welcome that. When someone sees a need in your life and they reach out to you, welcome that. And sometimes some of us have struggled with that. Some of us struggle with people helping us. No, no, I don't, it's okay. I'll do it on my own. But the reverse is true as well. Some of us just like to be served and we never contribute to it. And so the reverse is contribute to it. When you are served... Maybe you're experiencing grace and hospitality and encouragement, but when you serve, you are giving grace. You are offering hospitality. You are encouraging. You are helping. And so whatever that means or whatever that looks like in your life in the moment, it could be through an up or a down. It could be something simple or something extraordinary. As a church community, we're called to grow in love that way. Grace, hospitality, 
service as an expression of what it means to love deeply and be stretched out of our comfort zone and to be stretched sometimes beyond what we're used to and to be stretched in ways where only later do we see how God used us in that moment and we can say, oh my gosh, God, I did not realize you could use me at the corner of this pan. I only function over here, but Lord, you stretched me here and something happened? That's amazing. But we don't know that until we work at it and we allow God to stretch us in moments of love and service to one another. So love is this one ingredient that's so vital uh, in the church and as a community. But there's another piece to this that Peter is very adamant about within his letter. Because ask yourself this question, does this just happen? Does community just happen? Does spiritual growth just happen? Does a community um, moving towards a goal just happen? Does a, does a church community grow in certain directions? By does it just happen? You know, I was thinking about it recently. We've been having these prayer gatherings on Tuesday nights. It's about the fourth or fifth month in, the row, in a row that we've had them. And, and we really felt like, okay, we want to see prayer grow in our church. And it's, it's not enough to just say, awesome, take some time in prayer this week. Or here's a resource. We said, you know what? We're going to get together once a month. And we're going to learn how to pray together. And we're going to pray together and, and grow in this. That doesn't just happen, Right? We somehow, some people felt the need and the desire and the vision and saw that take place. That's important to think about, right? And so this other piece of what it means to grow as a community, to be a community, is leadership. It's not just love, but it's leadership. There's a role of leadership within the church that's so important. Now, I know sometimes there's pushback because some people say, well, doesn't the cross transform me? Don't, isn't the Holy Spirit enough just to talk to me and shape me and change me. But God has given us this key resource, this beautiful resource in the church called leadership. And Peter actually spends time. He takes a section of his letter where he knows there's, there's leaders in the church listening. And in chapter 5, verse 1, he, he, it's almost like he speaks directly to some of the leaders in the church. And he says this, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings who also share in the glory to be revealed. He's so specific He's to the elders. The elder is a common name or title for a leader in the church, and we don't have time to do like a class on what it means to be an elder and all the things that the Scripture says about elders. But this idea that within the church, God has given us this resource called leadership or what it means to be an elder or a leader or a pastoral leader within the church. Paul speaks to Timothy as he's struggling, to, as, as the church is growing. He says, choose elders among you. Choose leaders among you that, can, that, that God can use to encourage the church and teach the church and shape the church and, and help the church move forward that will be involved in leadership and pastoral care and teaching, even in discipline. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, Paul talks about these gifts the church has, like apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors, that God has given these gifts in the form of people with these gifts to the church. And what I assume when I read that is, God designed the church to function with pastoral leadership. There's different ways people do that. Sometimes it's more plural. plural. Sometimes it's more team-led. Sometimes there's a key leader and other leaders around them and then a group of leaders. And uh, there's different ways that maybe people have interpreted that. But when you think about it, at the very core, God has not left the church alone. It says there's this gift of leadership. 
And he speaks directly to the people. that may, Maybe these elders, uh, some might have been in that direct community. Maybe they're part of these house churches as a, as, a, as a group of believers develop, maybe 15, 20, 30 people. Then there was one who was responsible for them, who cared, who organized, who also developed other leaders around them. And, and Peter's speaking directly to them. And it helps us understand, well, what are they there for? What's their role? Why do they exist? And again, we can't go through all of that today, but Peter gives us a clue of at least one or two things that helps us understand that if this community is going to be bound together in love, God provides us, the church, not just this church, but churches, with the gift of leaders, but not just any kind of leader. It's different. This next part in verse 2, Peter says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. That's an interesting term. Anybody... Well, you don't have to raise your hand, but if you're a manager or lead a team or a foreman or something, think about that. Imagine, like, you go to your bank and, like, can I please speak to the chief shepherd of this bank? Like, it would be weird, right? Like, who's, hey, who's the CEO here? Oh, yes, shepherd. Can we, you know, like, it's weird. We don't, nobody uses that language, like, in our society, in our culture that way. It sounds a little bit strange. But here's this alternate way of understanding leadership in the church. If we're going to be a community that grows in love and mission and spiritual growth together, it's this word shepherd that I think comes up so often. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Ezekiel 34, uh, God speaking to the people of Israel and saying, shepherd the flock well. Luke 15, Peter shares a story of a lost sheep and the shepherd goes after that sheep. John chapter 10, Jesus speaks of himself as the good shepherd. John 21, Jesus commissions Peter and says, go and you need to be mindful of feeding the sheep, that image of a shepherd. And Peter gives us kind of two ideas as we move forward in in verse 3, this idea that, oh, maybe I'm wrong. Sorry, just go back there. Back to the first one. Yeah, that that to be a shepherd, first of all, it's it's not a shepherd's flock. Whoever, whatever leadership um, is in place in different churches, but in our church we have leadership in place, and I happen to be a key leader here. There, it's, not, it's not Dave's flock. It's not the leader's flock. It's not the elder's flock. It's God's flock. Be a shepherd of God's flock. But these two words that are under your care, watching over them. So these two sides of what it means to be leaders in the church and especially when there's oversight type of leaders, it's pastoral. It's caring. A care that this image of a shepherd that looks after, that guides, that cares for, that rescues, that if something is lost, there's a sense of going after that. You know, sometimes I'm plagued with a little bit of that in my role. And I don't say this in a, in a good or bad way because sometimes I'm like, if I'm in a crowd, you know, and I saw all and I didn't see all in several weeks and then I'm like, I had her in my mind, I wanted to talk to her and then she left because I was talking to three, four people. I just have this nine feeling, oh man, I didn't talk to Carol. I should have talked to her. I didn't see her. And so sometimes it kind of like eats away at me or I haven't seen someone or I wonder how they're doing. And I feel, I feel it. I feel like, are they okay? Did they fall off the map? Are they, are they struggling? Is something happening? And obviously, like, even in our crowd this morning, I personally cannot, like, personally touch every single person in our church. There's others that are involved in pastoral care and group leadership and ministry teams and things along those lines. But there's, sometimes I'm plagued with that a little bit because I'm like, oh, I don't know. I hope they're okay. I hope someone reached out to them. Does someone know that they're, they're not around or that they're hurting or that something's going on? 
this idea of caring and this other idea of watching, protecting. Now, shepherds, like even modern-day shepherds, we don't see it as much. I mean, I don't know if any shepherds in your neighborhood. I don't think so. But, but like the idea of a shepherd is a strong person. I mean, they had to like defend the sheep and protect the sheep and, you know, like scare off animals and stop things from happening. There was this sense of like a big person who stopped these things. They were strong. Watch over them. This idea here of what it means to be a shepherd. And you know, sometimes in my life, I'll just share this personally. So I don't know if I've ever shared this story, like when I felt the Lord call me to pastor. Now, I'm not sharing this because I, I want you to just associate this to me, but just to give you this personal example, I, I remember this, this sense of personal call to, to pastor. Not to like just organize stuff or... Um, to see ministries through, that's part of it, and I get excited about that. Not just evangelism, that's part of it. There's so many pieces about what it means to be the church. But I'll never forget the moment, the season, where I felt God called me to ministry. And it was significant for me. It was, it was a time in my life when I was about 17 or 18 years old. I was in Dawson College at the time, kind of working on some commerce courses. In my head, and my brain, I had this plan. I wanted to go into finance and accounting and other stuff. And I thought, I love that stuff. I, I, can, I can think about that. I, can, I think I could do well at that. You know? and, and then uh, things shifted a little bit. And I tried some music for a bit just in the temporary before I went to university for business. And in that, we, in that season, I was involved in the church I loved the Lord. Um, I had gone through some struggles as a teenager. I came out of that and felt like, okay, I'm serving God, but not that I wanted to necessarily serve him full time. And before I even say this, I want you to know that, that I believe God use, can use all of us in different ways in the church, but I'm talking about my story. And uh, there was this moment I just was thinking, like, I was wrestling. I thought the Lord started to nod my heart, like he wants something different for me, something more for me, to change direction, to change course. And I remember wrestling with it for months. In fact, it was almost five months that I wrestled with God because here I was thinking, I wanted some clarity. I'm like, Lord, if you're going to call me to this, I need to know. Like, I, I can go to university. I can get a degree. I can, I can make money and give it to the church. I can, I can serve and I can still serve. I can still be involved. And, and if you bless me in this career, I could bless the church just the same. Just let me know. And I remember for five months, I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled. And I remember there was an evening gathering at my church that I was a part of at the time, and there was a speaker there from another, actually another country. And he was sharing, really nice guy, simple guy. And he spoke at the end, and he just, he just said at the end of, the, of, of his message, he said, hey, if there's anybody in this gathering today that feels called to, to ministry in, in a real personal, strong sense, I, I want, he encouraged us to kind of step out of our comfort zone and come and seek the Lord for a moment. And it was that, that, that kind of the five-month mark. I was wrestling in my heart. God, what am I supposed to do? And I remember I walked, I walked up to the, to the front of that room and just began to pray and praying with a few other people. And something just hit me. For 30 or 45 minutes, I just wept before God. I didn't hear God. I didn't hear a voice. I didn't hear God say, David, don't do this do that, you know? I didn't hear him say, don't become an accountant, you know, become, you know, like, I didn't hear that, but there was this overwhelming sense that my desire and what I felt God was leading me to and his presence in that moment kind of interlocked, and I felt the Lord's presence in such a significant way where this is what I must do. And 
It was so significant. I remember, and why I share this with you is not because I believe everybody that serves in the church generally has to have that experience or even to be called into full-time pastoring. But it was significant for me. And, and I say it to you this way because many of you who know me, I'm a very casual person. Um, people that come here even on a Sunday like, oh, wow, the pastor wears a T-shirt. That's cool or whatever. Or what's your name? And I don't say, when they say, what's your name? I don't say Pastor David Manifold. You know, here's my card. Come see me at my office, right? I normally say you can call me Dave, David, whatever you want, right? And many of you know that, right? And so I'm very casual in my posture. And you could, but, you know, if you want to call me bishop, I'm okay with that. No, I'm just joking. I'm joking. My, my preference is pope, but... But um, Cardinal's a little bit beneath me. But anyways, you know I'm joking. But I, I was at the retreat, and I walked by some of the family rooms, and one of the, some of the kids were sitting, like, just kind of getting ready, reading a book, and I popped my head in. And this little, little boy, he said, hi, Pastor David. I'm like, oh, nobody calls me that. And I'm like, that's so, I just kind of like, oh, that's kind of cool. But, but you know that I'm, I'm really kind of casual about that stuff. But I want you to know, do not confuse the casualness of, who we are and what we are as a church or even me with the purpose of leadership within the church, whether it's me or others. Because I believe in my core that God has designed the church to function well with leaders. Different kinds of leaders, Ephesians 4, different ministries in the church, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14. Um, Many, all of us involved in some capacity, some involved or a a percentage definitely involved in in leading and in teaching and pastoring in different ways. And then just how that kind of works out in the the New Testament. It's beautiful. There's a conviction in the core of my heart that the church must function with healthy leaders if we're going to grow in love. It's so, so, so vital. Now, let me tell you this story. A couple of months ago, as we were in this whole process of we're going to move into this new location, how's this going to work? And we were at the, that decision point. Like we were crunching numbers with our leadership team and other people, and we were looking at what would be the implications of this. So someone in our leadership team sat me down and said, Dave, I have a question for you. I said, sure, what's the question? And he said, are you here for the long haul? Are you here for the next five years, ten years? Are you, do you still feel called to this church? And I remember, like, not many people just asked me that off the cuff. But it was good that, that this person asked me this, that someone in our leadership team asked me this, because they, they wanted to know, like, are you here? Are you with? This is a big thing. We're going to, like, changing locations, increase our budget, see what God is going to do here. We want to have all hands on deck, right? And so I remember just sitting back and listening and saying, yeah, that's a good question. And I thought, yeah, I, yes, I am. I'm here. I mean, my bent is always towards longevity and rootedness, but it's still an important question to be asked because, in a sense, are you still called to this place? Are you still called to this city? Are you still called to what we're doing? And it's so vital for me because it just reminded me, yes, there's a calling, not just on my life, but on other people's lives. And I flipped it to them. Are you, are you called in your role? For, because we don't want to be here without you a year from now, you know? And they said, yeah, yeah, I'm there. And this week we had a, t- a, a, a meeting with some ministry team leaders and walked through some of our stuff for the next few months. And we didn't specifically ask that question, but we were discerning. Are we in? Are we in? Are we all in for this? In your different leadership roles, are you in? See, because the ultimate goal of leadership, as God has designed it, is to grow the church into a loving community on mission. And as much as he has provided us at the base foundational such a vital level 
the transformation of our lives because of the gospel, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, God also says this is how the church functions. It's love and leadership. Love and leadership. And Peter warns these leaders, and I take this warning seriously, but any of us who lead within our context, whether it's a community group, a ministry team, or in some kind of capacity, in some ways, Peter warns us, and look, look what he tells these leaders. He says, do not lead because you must, meaning out of obligation, or just because you have to, but because you are willing to lead. I love that. Not because you must or you're obliged, but do you love this place? Do you love this people? Are you willing to do that? There was a pastor I met several years ago. He's not in the city anymore, and I'm thankful, and I'll tell you why. Because I met him in a grocery store at Maxi on St. John's. I bumped into him, never see him uh, really, and I saw him. I said, hey, how's it going? And he was serving in some part of our city. And I said, how's it going? And he started to like grumble, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, what's going on? What's wrong? He's like, oh, you know. I said, how's, the, how's it, your time at the church? Oh, I wish it was this. I wish it was that. And then, man, this city and this province, and I hate this, and if I had a chance, I'd be like somewhere else. And I'm like, I'm like why are you here? <laughs> I, and I felt bad for this guy. I thought, you're only here because you must. Maybe you still need a paycheck. Maybe, maybe you're here because you have nowhere else to go. Maybe you're here because of whatever. I said, but that's not because you're willing. And I sat there and I felt, first I felt bad for him. But then I started to be like, no, this is not fair. No church, no city should, and, and no church should have leaders in them. No city should have pastors in them where they feel like they must, but because they want to, because they're willing. I said, like, just leave. Go to the city you want to go to. Maybe you'll love it there. And maybe you'll be willing to be willing and not a forced obligation. Peter says, he goes on, he says, not pursuing dishonest gain but eager to serve. Because let me tell you that regardless of your role in life, regardless of your job, regardless of how you serve in our church in different roles or different capacities, in anything, the enemy can tempt us with dishonest gain. That, that dishonest gain could be for our selfish ambitions. It could be financial. It could be platform. And Peter says, do not serve for this reason, but be eager to serve. Be eager to serve. And then he, he goes on, he says, don't, serve or lead as you're lording it over people but be examples of the flock or to the flock don't lord it over jesus said these words if you're going to be my disciples do not look at the world and see how they lord themselves over each other but be servants be an example live by an example may the message and the teaching and the vision be caught not just spoken what's the goal that we would all become a loving community on mission and here's, as we walk to, close to the end here, Peter tells younger leaders, he applies it widely, and this is a tough one for us to hear. He says to the young, says to those who are younger, submit to your elders. Man, I don't know if this, that's on the screen. Maybe it's not. I didn't put it. But he says submit to your elders. Man, that's a tough thing. Because like, I think in any environment, home, work, community organization, church, we have become so influenced by consumerism and materialism and individualism and self-absorption that is like, what does that mean? I, I want to live my own life. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. But here Peter's talking to younger leaders, and I apply it widely. What does it mean to submit within the local church as a community? And again, like, my heart, oh, I just, I, like, I cringe when there's bad leadership and it's autocratic. 
But the scriptures talk about a healthy leadership. And the scripture, when it talks about submission, it's not talking about subservience. Like, I'm going to serve this person's goals. I'm going to, I'm going to like, when I see leaders that demand attention or leaders or churches that put um, their leaders on pedestals. There's a church, and, and I won't tell you which one because I don't want you to Google it. And there's 12, they have 12 values. And one of their values is we will honor and submit to the vision of Pastor X. I'm like, that's in, your, that's in your constitution? I'm like, wow. And in their kids' ministry, they have a coloring book with the pastor's cartoon so the kids could color it. And like, we honor that. It's like, let's start them young. You know, I'm like, that's just weird, right? And, and I, but Peter, when he talks about submitting to the leadership, saying work with, work under, work alongside, welcome input, discipline, correction, instruction, so we can be a team together, so we could be a community together. And the glue of this, and we'll wrap up with this, Peter says in verse 4, the chief shepherd is Jesus. Remember, be shepherds of God's flock. The chief shepherd is Jesus. Regardless of our role in a church, who's the chief shepherd? Jesus. Regardless of my role in this church, the chief shepherd is Jesus. We all serve him. Ultimately, and as much as I love to serve our church, I serve Jesus. And as much as you love to serve in ministries or each other, you're called to serve Jesus. He's the chief shepherd. And Peter ends this little section by saying, all of you, not just leaders, all of you, be clothe yourself with humility. Me too. Because as we move in humility, we end up having the kind of posture that God can work with. Because you know what the promise in the scripture is? We just sang today, all your promises are yes and amen. This promise is scary. God says in the scriptures, he will oppose the proud but lift up the humble. So if we all pursue humility, all clothe ourselves with humility and see Jesus as the chief shepherd shepherd, and recognize that these two ingredients of love and leadership in a healthy way can be part of what it means to be a church community, God can do amazing things in and through us. Amen? We're going to close and pray. And and I, I I want you to just ask the Lord for two things as, as we close today. Two people, actually. Okay? Two people. Two different kinds of people. So first, as we close and pray, and I want you to be really thinking about this all week. Ask the Lord, Lord, is there one person in our church community, anybody, any age, any gender, any person, is there one person in our church community that you would, you would highlight in my mind or my heart and call me to love them deeply? Is there one person in my church community this day and this week and this month that you are calling me to love more deeply. Really, ask the Lord for that person, for that name. And then as you pray, and I encourage you every single day to pray for them. Every single day to bring them before God in prayer. And as you bring them before God in prayer, I trust that the Holy Spirit is going to lead you in how to respond to them, how to reach out to them, how to be stretched in loving them, how to work out your love towards them. But ask God for at least, like, I'm not telling you for 200 people. We can't do that. Even 10. But one person. Say, Lord, what is there one person? And then begin praying for them every single day this week and ongoing for a few weeks. And ask the Lord, how will you, how, will you, how can I reach out to them? And the second person is, would you ask the Lord to put a name of a leader in our community in mind? Now, because you see me speaking, that might be the name, but I'm not, I, I don't mind the prayers, please. You can all pray for me. 
But ask the Lord, Lord, is there, is there someone, is there maybe the leader of the setup team or someone that leads our, this kids group or a community group leader or someone on the leadership team or our capital initiative team or just ask the Lord, Lord, is there someone? And ask God for that second name because they're, they're a gift to our community by God's design. Leadership is a gift to a community and pray for them daily. And then encourage them in some way. Ask the Lord, how can I encourage them in some way? Maybe the Lord might even lead you to serve alongside them. That's not the expectation, but if the Lord does that, then follow through. That's one act this week, one act this week, starting today, and we're going to pause and do it right now. One name of anybody in our church community and one leader in our church community. Pray for them daily and invite the Holy Spirit to lead you in how to reach out for them, how to love them deeply, how to care for them and encourage them. Sound good? Let's pray. Bless you, Jesus. Yeah, Father, we, we just um, thank you for how you have laid out and inspired this letter of First Peter and all the, the beautiful pieces of it, how it engaged our heart, our mind, our culture. And even in this, Lord, how just encouraging us and also challenges how to be a church community with one another. No person here is meant to follow you alone. No person here is meant to grow alone. No person here is meant to suffer alone. May we first be people who are willing to receive, become vulnerable, And then may we be people who are willing to contribute and flesh out that love with one another. And thank you for the gift of leadership for a local body. I thank you personally just for how you have led me and encouraged me, but also because there's people around me and our whole church. I'm grateful for how in some ways our community has stretched me, how this season is stretching me how the input that comes from various people helps me grow and challenges me. But I, God, I'm thankful for every, every leader in our church that takes on a level of responsibility and a burden of time and effort to serve in this way. Thank you for that gift. We can't just be a loving community, but we need to be a community that reflects a healthy leadership. And we're thankful for how those two work together because we long to be a loving community on mission in our city for you. May we love this place. May we love this people. May we follow you with all of our hearts. God, right now, as we're closing, I pray that each of us would just be diligently open to hearing you and giving us one name in our church community and one leader in our church community. God, give us the, just a reminder, the constant reminder to pray for them every day this week. And, and if we need to know how to reach out for them to ask, but otherwise just to lift them up in prayer and intercede for them. And may we be willing to say yes when you guide us in how to encourage them or reach out for them or to love them deeply. God, may this simple step revolutionize or begin to revolutionize who we are and who our community is and what you do with us for your glory, God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.